In our last episode with Tyler Margettis, you heard about how a complex system can tip from one type of behavior or state into another. Today, you'll hear from Carolina Wiesner, Professor of Complexity Science in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at Potsdam University in Germany. Carolina is going to talk about when systems don't tip or fail. In other words, you're going to hear about what makes a complex system robust. And we're going to explore all this by talking about ant colonies. This is Simplifying Complexity, a podcast where we explore the underlying principles of complex systems. Systems that seem to defy our rational view of the world, like economies, ecologies, or even you or me. I'm forensic engineer Sean Brady, and I'll be your host. Today, I'd like to welcome on the show, Carolina Wiesner. How are you, Carolina? I'm very well, thank you, Sean. Fantastic. We're going to talk about the concept of robustness in complex systems. And to kick off the discussion, we're actually going to begin by talking about ant colonies. Ant colonies are one of my favorite systems of a very robust system for various reasons, which I think we'll go through in this episode. And to begin with, maybe we should say why we're talking about ant colonies as complex systems. Robustness is such an important part of a complex system. So a colony consists of hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of ants. And an individual ant has very little cognitive capacity. Certainly to design a colony is, that's not done by a single ant, but it's done by these thousands of ants together only through their interactions. So it's something that, if you like, emerges out of the wiggling and searching around, walking around of thousands of ants. And all these things that emerge from it are the result of these interactions and nothing else. And the robustness is one such thing that emerges out of these many, many interactions. So what does it mean for an ant colony to be robust? Uh, very simply, you take a large colony and say you just scoop up from the floor of the forest, you scoop up a thousand of them, and then you keep watching what happens afterwards. And the colony is pretty much undisturbed. I mean, initially, maybe they'll be a bit confused, but they'll just keep on doing their business. And the ants that we scooped up will have had a certain function in the colony, say they were foragers for food. And so suddenly the colony is missing a thousand foragers for food, but this will be very quickly repaired and really quickly and by different means. So for example, other ants might take over the foraging job. So in that sense, colony is very robust towards the disturbance of somebody scooping up a thousand of them. And we see this quality in a lot of complex systems. So what's the definition of robustness? We'll probably jump into that and then we'll talk about why some things aren't robust and why some things are. So what's your definition? The definition of robustness that I like best is the ability to maintain structure or function in the presence of some disturbance, which means that, you know, this encompasses robustness for very, very different systems. In the case of the ant colony, if I talk about structure in an ant colony, people will probably laugh because we look at an ant colony and it looks terribly disorganized, right? But there's a lot of functional robustness in it. So I already talked about foraging. Foraging is a function of a part of the ant colony. So a few thousand are designated foragers. 
and then another few thousand are designated to take care of the brood and so on. So this functionality is very robust against disturbance. And in other systems, it is the structure itself which is robust. And we could take in a very different example of structural robustness, which is something that we all know, which is the pattern of furs of animals. And everybody, when I say zebra pattern, everybody has immediately an image, I think. And it is very robust in the sense that, you know, zebras, it doesn't matter what time of day they're born. It doesn't matter what season they're born in. It doesn't matter even which part of the savannah they're born in. They have the same pattern. And of course, when I say the same, I don't mean exactly the same because every zebra has a slightly different pattern. But the robustness of the general structure is there and it is regulated by very, very complicated biochemical processes that are happening inside. Fact is that the structure as a whole is very robust. And you have a wonderful example of a system that's not robust, the Rubik's Cube. Yes, (laughs) it's a beautiful example of something which is not robust and it is supposed not to be robust. That's the fun of the game, isn't it? So... It's a robustness or the lack of robustness of structure. Because initially when we buy Rubik's Cube, it's very structured, right? Every side has a single color. Then I go along and I turn, say, I take two or three rotations of it. I've destroyed the initial beautiful pattern. The probability that I destroyed by just three turns is almost one. I mean, by accident, I won't turn it three times and get back the same structure. And then I give it to someone else and tell them to give me back the original, very ordered pattern of one side, one color. And they might struggle, even if I've just turned it three times. It's not an easy task to solve. And that's the whole fun of the game. So this is an example where structure is not robust because a slight disturbance, it destroys the structure and then getting it back is hard. And the other example that use, which I really like, is is the example of a system that we don't think should be robust, but is surprisingly robust. And that's reading text when the letters are jumbled up a little. Yeah, I find this amazing that reading is, you know, we read a text and or we read just snippets, a few words, and we're very quick in even just scanning it. We're very quick in discerning the words. And sometimes We don't even notice that the letters are scrambled when they are swapping two consonants. We just read it as if the word was written correctly. So there's an enormous robustness, and this is a robustness of function, which is the function of processing this information. The visual system takes in the image, and then somewhere the processing happens of the image, turns it into words, turns it into meaning. And that functional capacity is very robust towards the disturbance, which is swapping letters or dropping letters. We know that when we read a text and the vowels are missing, we're still very good in inferring what the word is. So it's super robust towards that particular disturbance. And there are other disturbances that are much harder to deal with, but the brain is very well trained to deal with that, sometimes without us even noticing. Yeah, when we use the term robustness, the other terms that I've seen crop are up our stability and resilience. So where does robustness fit in with stability and resilience? I would say robustness and stability to me are the same. I'm trained as a physicist and you might ask other scientists what robustness or stability or resilience are to them and you might get different answers. So for example, you ask an engineer, 
what stability and they talk about say building a bridge and the bridge is stable when it doesn't move i mean it better doesn't move at least roughly speaking it really shouldn't be moving and you ask a chemist so what's stability for you and they say well for example a chemical reaction is stable when it does move which means things happen all the time things change all the time but the rate at which they change is stable or is constant so stability has very different meanings in different sciences in different contexts and the other term that you asked about resilience that has somewhat more of a dynamical meaning to it so resilience is something you know here we're getting closer to what i've been talking about is the ability of a system to after a perturbation come back to a state that it was in before the perturbation happened so you take out these thousand forages of an ant colony there is some readjustment necessary but that readjustment will happen and then there will be enough forages again for the ant colony to continue so can you design robustness into a system that's the question all my engineer friends would ask if i want to make my system more robust like an ant colony that can survive getting nudged around can that be done the answer i'm i'll give is maybe not quite satisfying to an engineer but still even an engineer i think could take away something from it if we think of the underlying mechanisms of robustness and that was in the case of the ant colony it's the many many interactions that we have between these ants and these interactions are stochastic they take some random direction and they start walking and then they run into another ant and this interaction does something for example this ant has found food so i'll walk in the same direction so there is this stochasticity built into the system and also a certain amount of diversity not every ant is doing the exact same thing so in that sense one can think of building in robustness into a system just in the sense of solution finding so maybe that's an approach that an engineer can relate to how do i find a good solution to a problem Well, I certainly don't find it if everybody starts walking in the same direction. But if people walk into different directions, try out different things and then bring them back, I will find solutions just because, you know, I'm adding this noise into the system. So a noise in the system helps the system find new stable states or find solutions. This is what complex systems do. They never stand still like a bridge. They are always moving. and because of this movement being disordered a disturbance can be resolved because a new solution will be found just because of this built in noise and i think i mean the fascinating thing about that is that you're talking about a bottom up behavior essentially it's you know i presume it's an emergent property of the system the robustness is is an emergent property because in engineering terms if we would be thinking of designing in robustness by taking a top down approach when we design the system how do we make it more robust and our approach would be add redundancy add backup systems upon backup systems to make it safe but what you're talking about there is really quite a different thing it is very different that doesn't mean that redundancy isn't also important because part of what the ant colony what makes it robust is also <laughs> the redundancy of these thousands and thousands of ants i mean for example if you take just a few hundred army ants army ants are pretty much blind and you put these say 100 army ants on a plane and there's not much else there there's no topology that's just a flat piece of paper for example of course they will interact they will bump into each other but eventually very quickly they will just form a circle 
and they will walk around in the circle. One ant is following another ant, which is following another ant, and the circle closes, and they will keep walking, but they never find any food because they're just walking in the same circle. That means they will pretty soon die. Wow. And there, I mean, there are two things missing here, but we're talking about redundancy. And if there had been more ants, then the system would have been more robust. The fact that I can scoop up a thousand ants from a colony doesn't hurt the colony too much is because there are at least another 10,000 that could take that place. So redundancy does play a role, but it's not the only thing that plays a role. Redundancy alone is simply not enough. So let's get on to the two of the key points you want to talk about that really does make a big difference. And the first of those is feedback. And then the other is one you've alluded to already, which is the role of noise. So what do we mean by feedback? Feedback is when an interaction influences future interactions. So it's very simple. Say I meet a new person on the street and they seem friendly. Then next time I meet them, maybe I'll invite them for a coffee or something. And then maybe from that, a friendship emerges. So this is a feedback from previous interactions. Whereas when I meet someone and they seem very unfriendly, maybe hostile, then that will influence my future actions in the sense of, well, maybe I'll try to avoid that part of the street because I know they live there, something like that. So certainly feedback is present constantly in our lives and we're constantly acting on previous experiences. And feedback is so essential for complex systems because we said earlier that ant colonies, all the structure, functionality and so on emerges from these many, many interactions between the ants. And one key to these interactions is chemical signaling in ants. So when they meet another ant, they can sort of smell the other ant. They can smell, and smell is more metaphorically here, but they can detect the other ants. For example, is it of the same colony or not? Has it just been to a food source or not? So when both of these are answered with yes, then this ant is probably going to follow that pheromone, this chemical that it has just smelled. And that way, from this interaction, the ant also takes on the chemical of the food source. And so more and more ants will smell this pheromone, will go to the food source. And that way, a whole trail of ants is coming about that is moving towards the food source and back to the nest. So that's feedback. And the feedback is the link between this maybe noisy, random walking around of ants and the actual structure that emerges from it. And do you distinguish between positive feedback and negative feedback in these interactions? Very much. These are two very different consequences, similar phenomena, very misleading names, by the way. Positive feedback sounds like it's a good thing. And it can be, but it can also be a very bad thing. And negative, the other way around, could be, you know, actually a good thing. Negative feedback is often a phenomenon which is even built in at times when you think of engineering things. Negative feedback is stabilizing feature. So, of course, when we take an engineering example of a bridge, you have a vibration comes about because, say, a train moves across that bridge. You want that vibration to subside, to disappear. And there are these examples of, say, armies marching across bridges and they march in step. And so they're causing these vibrations and then there's positive feedback in the sense of self-enhancing feedback that increases the vibrations and that can be catastrophic consequence. 
to the bridge. A better term is self-enhancing feedback. And negative feedback is dampening. So a system self-regulates, if you like. And both of these are present in complex systems. The ant colony has both of them. The positive feedback, self-enhancing feedback, is in the case of foraging, for example, where a few ants happen to hit on a good food source. And then they come back with these pheromones, with these chemical smells. More ants come, follow the same trail, bring back more of the food and also the chemicals that come from that food source. More ants go and so on and so forth. So this is leading a positive self-enhancing phenomenon that leads to these big, big trails of ants. And the negative feedback in the ant situation, have you got an example of that? Too much of anything is usually not good. So for example, if all the ants were recruited to do foraging, then there wouldn't be any ants left to take care of the brood, let's say. So there needs to be some negative feedback that not all the ants are recruited away from the nest to go towards the food source. And that is present because other mechanisms are interfering with it, which is, for example, if all the ants were to go away to forage, then the site of the nest, which is the brood site, would be empty. And because ants are randomly moving around, there will be lots of space for them to accidentally move into the brood site and they would start helping out. So that's somewhat hand-waving, but it is an example of a negative feedback, which will then balance out the needs of the colony. This positive and negative feedback, to go to a very different example like the economy, the negative feedback is that traditional sort of supply and demand, isn't it? That as supply goes up, then the price decreases because there's more of it around. So we stop producing it much. So it just takes out that movement in the system. But then we get those positive feedbacks and we all go very crazy and we get a, a housing bubble or a bubble in some other commodity where we all want to buy it because we perceive it's got more value. So the price goes up for it and that's not sustainable in the long term. Correct. Those are two prime examples of positive self-enhancing feedback. Inflation is another one, of course, and the stabilizing negative feedback of supply and demand and, and the prices that are part of it. So then noise. So noise is the second thing you want to talk about after feedback. So what do we mean? Start probably with what we mean by noise in complex systems. Noise Lots of different terms that are used for it, noise, randomness, fluctuations, they all refer to the same thing, which is that if we go back to the ant colony, ants rarely walk in a straight line. They always go a bit left and a bit right, go straight for a while. We look at this path and we perceive this as random. And the randomness is not just there as a bug, but it's actually a feature. I mean, if we go back to this example I mentioned on these army ants that you put them on a plane and if you take just a hundred of them they will walk around in a circle and die because what they're missing they have the feedback so they might follow another ant which is following another ant but they're missing the noise and the noise here is related to you know lots of ants bumping into each other it's almost like a disturbance an ant is following a path and it bumps into another ant that has some pheromone that is suddenly interesting. And that means the first ant will leave its original path and do something different. The consequence of that is not clear. It can be positive or negative. Maybe it's being drawn away from a really good food source to a really bad food source and it's making a bad decision. 
But the thing is, when many of these somewhat random encounters leading to somewhat random decisions are being taken, if the system's large enough, on the whole, the system will actually find a good solution to its problem, which in this case is keeping the ant colony alive. What is the ant colony's purpose? It's to stay alive. And through these random interactions, they're finding surprisingly good solutions to problems. So for example, there is a food source where they ideally would have to cross some gorge or some gap in the floor. A single ant can't cross a gorge, but two ants will maybe start to entangle. That would be the beginning of a bridge, and then more ants will come and walk over them, which they do all the time. And then another ant will start to get entangled with this. And just through these somewhat random interactions where many ants will not do this, but some will, and eventually they will have a bridge, and that bridge will actually shorten the path towards the food source. At the same time, it will also take up labor. So some ants that are in the bridge can't do the foraging anymore. So there is an optimum balance to strike here between foraging and having a short path towards the food source. And the optimum the ants find is surprisingly close to a mathematical optimum. It's not because someone has designed this bridge, but it is because of these many, many interactions between these ants. It's a very surprising emergent feature of noise, in fact. What I love about what you're saying is that the robustness of these systems is this almost this tug of war between the need for structure because of the drive for structure because of the feedback you have happening but you're just keeping enough variation in there from the noise to stop it essentially getting into a loop, to stop it getting into something that it can no longer get back out of. It's essentially the noise, which we probably would think of as a bad thing if you're not in the complexity space, that's providing the variation you need for the system to adapt. This double feature of noise, it's sort of tugging away from this perfect structure, which maybe we would like to build, perfect trails towards a food source, you'll never see them. And the reason is that although the noise seems like a bug, it is required both to generate the structure in the first place. And then also, if the structure is slightly disturbed, attacked by some other animal, that's say an ant bear that likes to eat ants. Or you grab a thousand ants and pull them out. Yeah, That's right. Or a complexity scientist comes along and scoops up a thousand ants. The noise is there to repair. So the noise is there to correct errors because missing a thousand forages is an error in the system. So the system needs to be able to correct for that error. And that is what this tandem of noise and feedback is able to do. And that's fascinating. So you're saying that if we didn't have the noise, we'd build a structure and that structure would become too solid for whatever a better word. And then that leads to the lack of robustness, because if we then break or pull a piece out of that, it doesn't have enough variation to adapt and fix it. Correct. So the lack of noise is then a lack of ability to adapt, because the adaptation is coming not from some central control element that says, you go left, you go right, and then this is all going to be okay. But the adaptation is coming out of all these decentralized actions. That is fascinating. Carolina, thank you very much for being a guest on the show. A pleasure. Thank you, Sean.
Thanks for listening to Simplifying Complexity, where we look at the key concepts of complexity science with expert minds from across the world. Concepts like emergence, self-organization, adaptation, networks, scaling, tipping points, and much more. This podcast was produced by Brady Haywood and Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. I'm Sean Brady, and I'll see you in our next episode.